Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Carmen Taglienti, Chief Data Officer and Data and AI Portfolio Director for Insight. Insight is a leading IT solutions provider specializing in streamlining enterprise data infrastructure. On today's show, Carmen joins us to talk about where business leaders can find true value creation opportunities from emerging generative AI technologies. As the hype cycle shows no signs of slowing down, Carmen offers actionable, non-technical advice to business leaders for identifying needs with broad generative AI crossover and preparing data-ready strategies essential for integrating these capabilities into the organization. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Carm, thanks so much for joining us again on the program. Great to be here. Always, always a pleasure. So generative AI has made a big splash in the last year onto not just the technology scene. I think it's really blossomed out into the popular culture. You know, my mom knows what machine learning is. My grandma knows what machine learning is. Obviously, the hype cycle is something to contend with for business leaders. But amidst all that, and I know we're in a little bit of a fog of war. We're kind of at the peak or at least coming down from the peak of this hype cycle. But what do you think are the best strategies for business leaders to maximize potential in this environment? Yeah, so I think the way that I've been looking at it, at least lately, has been more focused on not the hype, as you mentioned, but it really is focusing on the operational nature of how to deploy this. So it's really, how do I take advantage of these capabilities without necessarily having to get caught up in all of the hype? So how can I look at it from a more practical perspective? And that's really what I've been talking to customers about. So if we're looking at things like content management, for example, or content production, it's much easier for us to focus on, well, what kinds of things do we want to achieve specifically? Let's not worry too much about, you know, the fact that, you know, maybe it's going to be able to do, you know, auto completion of tasks for us or replace people's jobs. But we are focusing more on the context of productivity enhancements. And that's really where I think most organizations are going today. And I think that's a good focus for us. And then as things do evolve over time, we can then start to take advantage of additional capabilities and then put them in the context of the business. In terms of that context of the business, I'm wondering if we can kind of put forward something of kind of a criteria for just how to think of these small range ideas. I loved in your last answer that you're like, don't don't, you know, focus on these big benefits that everybody's talking about right now. Focus on the practical applications that are right there in your organization. You know, we talk a lot on these shows about you you, you want to use AI for for business critical goals and operations just in terms of, you know, how companies are thinking about their competitive advantages, their financial goals, where should they start to insert these generative AI use cases, or at least these beachheads to get started in maybe a larger digital transformation or AI adoption? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think to the earlier point, it really just has to do, there's a lot of low hanging fruit, if you want to call it that within many organizations. And so when you think about these very manual type processes, and I mentioned already content generation, that's just one case, but it's also learning and education or even finding things within the organization. Because over time, organizations tend to collect data or even, you know, I'll call it collecting content. 
but it's all over the organization. And it's difficult mm -hmm. because a lot of people spend time just looking for things. And I think from that perspective, if, if it allows us to be able to consolidate information, to be able to produce knowledge from the generative AI solutions, that's a huge win for a lot of organizations. So all the time that would be spent collecting, verifying, validating information can be much faster within these organizations. And I think that's another easy one. And then I think it's also consistency in terms of production. Like we do a lot of work where customers are interested in how do I generate an SOW, for example, in a consistent format or in a consistent way? Or how do I know that I've covered all of the legal policy issues? Well, generative AI is really good at that as well. So, you know, these kinds of things that have to do with either education, knowledge generation, or even content production, those are really easy use cases for to start with. And just about all organizations have to do this. And so I think it's an easy yeah. one. Well, even from the beginning of your first answer, I'm almost worried that, you know, business leaders might take home that there is no needle. It's all haystack. You need to shove every last word your organization is saying into some sort of data lake that that can pull from these ML LLMs. And if that's as far as you're saying to go, hey, you know, correct me or say it outright. But I'm wondering if there's a way to narrow it down to really have a focused and precise process for assessment and validation the approaches to leveraging generative AI in the organization. How would you suggest starting about that journey without looking at the whole situation like it's a giant haystack with no needles? Right. It's a Yeah, that's a really good point that you're making, because I think in this context, and I've been asked this many times, so I've been doing talks lately and you know people will ask yeah. me the question. It's like they look at it and say, oh, does this mean I don't have to worry about the data anymore? I don't have to worry about no. curating the data. And I was like, no, 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 you couldn't be further from the, the truth. Opposite. Exactly. Right. So throwing everything into this you know, data lake and then expecting Gen AI to rationalize it, not going to happen. So I think the emphasis is on that well-curated data set. You know, so the, the question you're asking is related to, well, do I now just put my data in one spot and then all of a sudden I can find all these cool things? You can find them, but what you're probably going to find are things that you're not happy with. And so you're going to have mm -hmm. to start on this cycle of, I'll call it data governance, but it really is data governance. You have to say, am I not getting the results I expected? And if you're not, then you need to go back and say, well, I have to curate my data, add more data. So it is really just a matter of good discipline, garbage in, garbage out mm -hmm. kind of model, because if you're just collecting everything and expecting you to you know, get gold out of it, not quite gonna happen. So many organizations really get to this point where if you're gonna start these with these low hanging fruit models, you really do have to be mm -hmm. careful about the selection of the data that you're using as intelligence to be able to, and I won't say train the model, but influence the model because we're talking about embedding, Gen AI already has a pre-trained model, but we're trying to enhance its knowledge and we want to make sure that we do that, do that with high quality data. Yeah. And, and just in terms of, you know, the data that's being compiled, the governance considerations, I'd even like to put a finer point on on what kind of team you, you have looking at that. I assume it's data scientists who are thinking of what are the best data governance practices? How do we make this data lake the most applicable to a large language model, even in its future cases, as compared to the kind of short term beachheads that you were describing in your first answer. But I'm also wondering what the split might be between subject matter experts, because you also want to build in those considerations and they're going to have the best idea of where, you know, the business core business goals are and where they hit the road with that data lake with the LLMs, correct? 
Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring up the point of the data scientist, because I think historically, like when we were doing sort of classical data science with machine learning back mm -hmm. in the day, if you want to call it that, and I know it's not really that old, but in general, you know, right. the way that we've been productively using ML, the data scientists would be the ones that would say, well, the data is, is indicating correlations, or we don't have a good enough or a high enough correlation to the data that we currently have. But today with generative AI, the business people are really the ones that are measuring quality of input. So mm. it, it really is a, am I getting the expected answer? So I don't necessarily need somebody that's really good at understanding sort of the error rates that might be part of a training model. But what I, what I am interested in is somebody that really knows the subject area, because if I give it a set of data, I ask for a particular response and it's not correct, then it's the business person or the subject matter expert is gonna be the one that determines efficacy it's not really algorithmic in that context. So things are changing slightly in terms of who's measuring quality, who's configuring the environment in order to be able to take advantage of the fact that generative AI can't produce results mm -hmm. that are acceptable to the business. So it's an interesting shift, I think, in terms of, and I'll call it democratization yeah. of AI because it really is happening. They were transforming sort of the expertise to more of the business people. Absolutely. And I think even in your last answer, you put a really good point on the fact that this is a three-legged stool. It is your subject matter experts. It's your data science teams. Not that these are the only limited positions of folks that are involved in an AI adoption, but in terms of like kind of the pillars of at least the skill sets, it's data science. It's the subject matter experts on the ground who are you know working in those business critical operations and and they are where the rubber hits the road. And then it's the business leaders with that, you know, eagle eye view, that high level view that can at least bring that real business value. Right. Exactly. It's a, uh, yeah, the business value I think is really critical because whenever I talk to customers today and they, we discuss, mm -hmm. and we talked about this earlier where we said, how are organizations going to use it? Well, if you don't really understand what the outcome needs to be, then it's really difficult yeah. to figure out how to use Gen AI. And I think when we get into that strategy of let's first identify business impact, then we can start to figure out how we're going to use Gen AI to do it. And that's really key. I mean, because it, you don't, it's no longer this model of going through a classical machine learning data lifecycle or a data science lifecycle, where it's like, I first, I have to understand a business problem, then I have to collect the data, and then I have to make sure the data is high quality, and then I have to go through you know numerous steps in order to be able to get there. Today with Gen AI, it's almost as if you can say, I've collected a bunch of data, I know the outcome, and I can start iterating, and I can do that really quickly now. And the business can be the ones or the arbiters of this is addressing the need or it's not addressing the need. And because it's so agile and iterative and fast, it really produces this, this concept of really momentum within the organization. Absolutely. And before we get to kind of the fruit of that momentum in, in realizing the value of AI, I just wanted to go back to one thing you had mentioned before, just in terms of the consistency of production and that LLMs can help with that. I'm wondering what kind of infrastructure, even from everything we were talking about in terms of the data science teams, the, the data governance strategies to you know make sure that the organization is ready to take on LLMs. But I'm wondering what goes into ensuring that that consistency of production, even where LLMs can help? What do you need on the organization side? Yeah, that's a great question. Initially, when we think about an LLM, we look at it and say, okay, well, it's pre-trained. It has a certain amount of data in it. Maybe it even has some biases and whatever might be in there. But 
what organizations really need to focus on is how am I going to augment that model in order to service my needs? And as you do that, you're collecting your data, but you have to put it someplace. And so we'll call these a cognitive database or a vector database or whatever you want to call it. But there's, it's a knowledge base with that you use within the organization as the embedding strategy or setting context for the large language right. model. That's really where the effort needs to be put into play. So you need to make sure that you're creating this highly curated knowledge base in order to be able to drive your the performance of your large language model overall. And this, I think, requires us to do a couple things. So I'll go back to sort of the old days of maybe even data warehousing, but we really need to create sort of I'll call them, you know, data ops processes, data pipelines that allow us to be able to say when new data appears, we're able to run it through sort of the transformational processes, but the target instead of being a warehouse in this case will be our knowledge base. So I like to use the term Gen AI ops now, which includes those cycles where it's like anything that's within the knowledge base, I would then need to move it from whatever its source location may be into the knowledge base. And then I can say something about its quality, its efficacy to helping to solve particular business problems. So there's like this new world of ops appearing in Gen AI that really addresses that. And that needs to be, you know, well-disciplined capability within the organization, just like other, you know, kind of DevOps things that we have done historically. Right. That's, I think, where we need to go in order to make this work because we have to move it out of the science project mode and into the, these are really things that we have to productionalize. Yeah. Absolutely. And in, when I talk to folks in financial services or healthcare and they talk about how, you know, there needs to be like a safe area within the organization to really experiment with this stuff that won't hurt the business, won't hurt people, especially in the healthcare environment. I think this is especially where you're where you're talking on, you know, oh, we need the, you know, the the safe place for the science experiments. I think this is the the area, right? And I, I even want to put a finer point on just the safety measures to taken right here because you want this to be a place where, you know, you can work out issues of Context. That's what hallucinations are. Hallucinations are misappropriated context from an LLM. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have enough. It maybe has too much, but you need an area where you can at least let it have its hallucinations and, and not have it touch a customer. <laughs> but just in terms of that insulation and keeping that area for experimentation safe, it, it has to be so much more than just keeping it out of the eye of customers. How do you want to build in that insulation and how do you make that a team consideration just for everybody that we were talking about before in terms of subject matter experts, data science teams, and business leaders? Yeah, when you talk about that, I kind of gravitate toward, you know, a classic development life cycle. So when, when I think sure. about it, we end up with, you know, we have a dev test prod model. And in many ways, that's kind of what I'm thinking when you ask that type of question, because if I wanted sure. to say experiment, then I would do it in, in a dev environment. But in the Gen AI world, it's really more, we're just going to use sort of standard event prompting, if you will. So our you know, prompting models or prompt engineering models. Because in that case, then I can kind of play and sort of experiment and figure out like what kinds of things would I want in my knowledge base before I actually build out a knowledge base to be able to support the kinds of prompting that I want to be able to do. So I can experiment. And then once I've sort of 
figured out these are the kinds of things that I should put into my knowledge base and augment it, then I can go to a more standardized embedding model and start to build in those operational processes, move it into a test environment. And then, you know, so long as we can then validate it according to, you know, specific kinds of policies that we want to be able to implement from a security perspective, then I can start looking at, well, is it ready for production? Does it produce the kinds of results I'm expecting? And this is something that I talk about in my life cycle. So I've created this life cycle model and the life cycle model also you know, has test cases. So we look for things like, are there bias in the data? Are the things that maybe could you know, be construed as leakage of information, maybe IP? within the organization. So you can start to enforce those policies then in these test environments before you actually release anything to production. And interestingly, and I'll also get into this concept of model chaining, because ultimately what we can do then is say, take the results of the responses and then put them into a you know another machine learning model that looks for things like it can do semantic analysis or class mm. classification and see, does it actually comply with what we're looking for? So you can start to use classic machine learning models to see, is it adhering to policy or not based off of mm -hmm. more natural language processing kinds of analysis. So it's an interesting dynamic and it's, you know, I, I think it's, as you're describing, it's sort of this maturity. So you, you move from yeah. experimentation to before I put it into the wild, Am I able to validate that it adheres to the specific policies that I might be interested in within the organization? And there are really interesting techniques that allow us to be able to do that. Absolutely. And before we head to realizing the, the value from AI, I, I even want to just clarify even in, in one point that we had from this initial phase of, you know, adopting the model, acquainting it with our data lake. Usually when we're working with those, at least those first models, those are a bit more, those are a bit larger. Those are more foundational. And in terms of the model chaining that you were describing in your last answer, the more in so far as I've talked about this, especially to our, our, our friends in financial services, the more that you have operations that are customer facing, the more that will be appropriate for smaller, more bespoke models that are finely tuned to specific tasks. Do I have that generally right? Or, yep. or is that basically, yeah, that's basically the spectrum in terms of how you're developing different models once you get to the point of, okay, we have this bigger model that, that handles our company-wide communications. And for this specific task, we want to break it off. We want a smaller one. It need, it's okay if it's GPT-3, not GPT-4, because it'll be doing this very specific task. Is that the spectrum? Yeah, exactly. And, and in those particular cases, and that's a fine line too be, between you know, mm, if you do yeah. create bespoke models, just for example, you have to ensure that you don't overfit them because you don't want it to forget yeah. some of the basic capabilities that you might already have. So it's, I'm not going to say it's a difficult task, but it's one that you have to be very deliberate about the expectations of that model. But you're right. It is something where if you do want to create models that are very specific to a domain, you would totally do that because you wanted to make sure, you want to make sure that it it really does a good job within that particular area, but you also have to recognize it's no longer a general purpose model because of the fact that yeah. you sort of overtrained it to do exactly that particular task. Absolutely. Let's get to the good stuff. Let, let's get to the part, the fireworks show everybody's waiting for, realizing value from AI, especially now that they have an idea of, okay, I'd work with my larger model. And then as I'm starting to see business value, I break it off. As I'm starting to see a use case where there's greater customer contact, I'm going to break it off, use a smaller model, develop that for an, a very public 
customer-facing, business-critical task. Just in that way, I'm wondering if we can think of any examples of how that might work just in terms of building on that initial value for an enterprise-wide transformation, something where we know we're developing it from the large language model, but once we find that small beachhead that maybe can expand to the whole organization, regardless of what we've heard in the hype, I I know you were saying in your first answer you want to steer away necessarily from the big use cases you're hearing out there, but maybe if we can illustrate for our audience how a small beachhead turns into a big beachhead. Yeah, exactly. And I'll even take my own company as an example. So one of the things that we do a lot of being a consulting organization is we produce statements of work. So statements of work can be a very arduous process. So content generation in that context can take forever. And it's easy to identify the ROI because we know that when we start you know, to write a statement of work, we talk to a customer, we identify what some of the challenges might be, and, and we factor that in. But then once it gets into sort of the SOW creation process, it's like, it's very, where do I find a template that's similar to the one that I did before? What language should I use? How do I use it, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very time intensive and arduous process in order to be able to get that consistent. So we've been able to really just identify clear ROI, which is how do I put all of this, you know, all of our SOWs, maybe not all of them are great. So again, like I was saying before, you have to curate the data and make sure that you you, you pick mm-hmm. the right ones. But then when you can sort of enhance the model with good examples, then you can say, well, write me an SOW that can do these things and, and has these particular factors. And I can, you know, we can see 40, 50, 60% time savings by using that kind of a model. And, you know, there is some back and forth, but in general, it, like I was saying before, it's this fast iterative approach. So you're doing it much quicker than saying, let's go through a review cycle and let 47 people take a look right. at it. So right there, you can see quick ROI, good use case. And the other thing that I think is really important that people don't really see from an ROI perspective is employee satisfaction. Because now instead of people looking at it and saying, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Now you're looking at it and saying, wow, I can produce an SOW in a short period of time. And it's good. I think that's a really big, a really big use case to identify some of the value here for us. Oh, yeah. Listeners can just look back in our Spotify and or Apple podcasts queue and there's tons of interviews that we've had just emphasizing the importance of, you know, employee happiness metrics right alongside and and very indicative of, of customer experience success as well. We talked about data governance and management. We've spent a lot of time kind of about how you build these systems really on the infrastructure. And I'm wondering about where is the difference if an organization might need a center of excellence, especially as they have multiple use cases. You know, we've been talking about there'll be, you know, especially especially in kind of our model chaining example, that there'll be, you know, a central, maybe less public, more foundational, large language model at the heart of the business, and then some smaller, more public facing models. At what point do you need a center of excellence to really drive forward the business value here? And at what point should an organization make that call? Yeah, so I would say, and I and I know I sound like a little bit of a broken record, but it's it's all about the data. So data governance, yeah. I think, is central to even leveraging this Gen AI capability. So if you hadn't had a center of excellence focused around data governance, then it's absolutely something that you should invest in because I think many organizations have sort of understood the value of a center of excellence around data governance, but have kicked the can a bit, you know, up the road and said, oh, you know, we're eventually going to, you know, get to that. We haven't done it yet, but we're going to get to it. But now 
I think it really, if you are trying to understand the value of your data and realize value from that, that is going to be something that you absolutely have to do because it, it really does surface in this Gen AI world because if the data is not of high quality, you're going to see it immediately in these types of use cases that are 100% predicated on the value and the quality of the data that you might be using. So I would say that that's number one important. Number two is to just focus on, I'll call it a Gen AI ops if you want to, um, center of excellence, but it really is around making sure that you have a good disciplined approach to how to leverage Gen AI, what use cases in order to be able to use it, and then how to demonstrate the value of it. So there is a I wouldn't say that there's a center of excellence yet around it. I'm trying to determine, at least within my organization, what would that look like? It's a combination of maybe MLOps center of excellence and a data ops center of excellence on top of a business center of excellence because mm. it has to do with identification of how do we, first of all, identify the business problem? How do we identify the outcomes? How do we measure the, those outcomes? And then how do we you know, move it into scale where we can do value realization? which is the other part of that. And I, I think there needs to be sort of a center of excellence around that too. So it's really kind of a broad spectrum. And I know I yeah. talked about a lot of centers of excellence, but I would say start with the data, make sure you have a good disciplined approach then as it relates to understanding how to not just productionalize Gen AI ops, but to realize value from the things that you're looking yeah. to do. I think it's also illustrative that the silos for the different centers of excellence that you're suggesting really revolve around that core business value, sort of where, you know, the business leader side of the equation is really driving the goals. And I think that's that's going to be really helpful, no matter the size of the organization for anybody listening to be able to have that kind of clarity when they're thinking of how to establish these systems. Carm, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you being on the show today. And I think I think folks have a, a, a real blueprint for how to get started. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me and great conversation as always. If you enjoyed today's episode with Carm, as he prefers to be called, tune in in a couple of weeks for our September 18th episode with Carm on how to identify high ROI use cases for generative AI and achieve success quickly. It will also have Carm back on the program in October to talk about the future of AI and taking a look at how generative AI is changing the game into the future, doing our best to look at things over the next half decade, always a tough task. But when you're working with folks like Carm, who can see this far ahead, it makes it a little bit easier. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.